Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and more healthy elk hunter. Find a full line of supplements, including meal replacement shakes, pre-workout and post-workout supplements, multivitamins, performance protein bars, and more at mountainops.com. And be sure to use promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or buglingbull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course.
And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Good morning, Corey. Good morning. How it are you? is good. I'm good. It's sunny, and it seems like we've got into our consistent season of summer here in central Idaho. And by consistent, I mean it's quit snowing. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> uh, well, Today, we got a special guest who's joining us from Idaho Falls, Idaho, and this comes at the request of a lot of the people who submit questions. Where, where do they submit questions at? ElkTalkPodcast.com? Yep, ElkTalkPodcast.com. Just click the contact tab there and fill in your name and email address and send us a question. And Like we've mentioned so, several times, we, we read them all. We don't always get an opportunity to answer them all, but... In a situation like today, we're answering like a hundred of them all oh, at man. once. You guys so. can tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so our guest is Bo Beatty. He, he's pretty excited to be here. I'm not sure if he's excited or nervous because before we got the record button hit, Corey said, well, you'll get a chance to review it, but then we'll add <laughs> yeah. anything we want afterwards. So we might embarrass We were just guests. talking about the difference between doing a live Q&A and doing a recorded podcast. And, you know, we can edit out things in a podcast or we can edit in things if we need to. So, Bo Bo got a little nervous yeah, when he heard that. that. Uh, but we, we've uh, had a ton of questions come in about llamas and how we use llamas. So we thought, Bo, you're the man to answer anything related to llamas. And we really appreciate that you join us today. Yeah. I don't know if I'm the man, but I sure like llamas and hopefully have some answers for you. If not, I'll ask someone that knows more than me. <laughs> <laughs> your wife Kirsten or your yeah. son Wade? Uh, probably both. <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, so I, I think we we decided that since Corey put the list together, he's going to ask most of the questions. Bo's going to provide most of the answers, and I'm just here for color commentary and tangential discussion. <laughs> I think that was the part that Bo was most nervous about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, appreciate you being here, well, Bo. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really appreciate the opportunity. Definitely. And just to be clear, Randy said I'll be. I have the list, and and I'm just asking for a friend, you know. And I, oh, I, really have, no inter- I have no interest in llamas myself, but I have a friend who's starting to get a little bit older, and you know, he's looking for ways to be able to hunt elk way back in those rough places, but not have to pack them out as far. And plus, my friend's daughter really wants a horse, and he's really trying to avoid getting horses, and he's, he's kind of just wondering if llamas might be a good alternative option there as well so okay. that's kind of the yeah, context but, my list comes from a from a friend here so yeah i assume uh, is it safe to assume that friend has three teenagers in the house and uh uh has his own line of elk calls that that friend uh you know i i'm i don't keep track of the birth dates of his children to know exactly how old they are but <laughs> yeah he definitely you know it might serve him well to get more information on llamas well he just he's oh i, yeah, I was just gonna say uh, he saw that, him in use last fall and i think it piqued his interest so it's that friend of yes, donnie drake yep, that, that's uh, donnie's no. friend okay all right now we know That's where these right. questions yeah. are coming from. Uh, 
So, Bo, I, I guess just to, to start, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. I'm looking at a, a website here at wildernessridgetrailllamas.com, and there's a lot of pictures of llamas and a couple pictures of you on there. So maybe fill us in a little bit on yeah. on what you do and why you're the guy to answer these questions. Yeah, sure thing, guys. So, you know, my wife and I own Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas, and we also have a company called Wildland Llamas. And between those two companies, um, you know, we rent out our pack llamas to people that want to go on hunting trips or camping trips or want to take their family, you know, for example, in Yellowstone National Park for a week and just need a little bit of help getting gear and equipment in and also getting it out. And then uh, we raise and breed them. And so that we have, you know, more and more coming down the pipeline because in the summer trip, summertime, basically from March till the end of November, we're doing guided trips. And these guided trips are like, you know, they're fishing expeditions. They are camping expeditions, peak bagging trips, where we go into really cool places such as Yellowstone National Park, the Wind River Range in Wyoming, the Grovant Range in Wyoming, and then all the way down into places in southern Utah like um, Glen Canyon National Recreation Area and Escalante. And so people can come on a trip, and we can we provide all the camping gear, guides, transportation, the llamas, food equipment, knowledge, and expertise of the area. They just have a really great time, and it's an opportunity for people to kind of recenter themselves and, you know, find some solitude. And then uh, we do, you know, drop camps and things like that, and then we also do the – we sell the llamas that we breed, usually about once a year in the spring. Um, We'll have a sale, and then we also build and sell all the pack gear and equipment, pretty much everything that you need to go into the backcountry with the llama. We make it right here and and sell it so that's kind of a the scope of what we do and we operate in five states now which is kind of fun and um we had 51 employees before uh you know covid hit and now we're down to about six or seven so oh man um yeah kind of crazy but this is yeah this is who we are and what we do and it's a full-time job for (laughs) sure full-time times two you know absolutely but yeah how many llamas do you have, Bo? I was down there earlier this month, and you look like you had more llamas than some of the biggest ranchers here in Montana have <laughs> cows. Well, I always tell people llamas are a lot like Skittles. You know, you like you have one, and they're like, oh, well, ten's good, you know, but the whole bag's better. Um, so we started with one. I tell my wife, like, can you believe this whole thing? Just started with one llama, and uh, now we just did the count. We, there's 470 on the on the property that we have. <laughs> Did, did you say 470, like 470? 470, yep. That that many Skittles would probably <laughs> make, a guy sick. make you jittery. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. We, we had the 51 babies this year, so that was, you know, we have them once a year, usually in the spring, and we just finished up and had 51, so it was kind of nice. It's our biggest, uh, you know, we, the babies are called Kriyas, so the biggest Kriya crop of, you know, our breeding career, so. Wow. So back to uh, just to, to talk about your, your business side as far as the guided trips and everything. You have employees then that are trained on handling the llamas and they're the ones that, that go out and set up the camp and do the cooking on those trips and everything. Yep, exactly. Like we'll have a, you know, we call, you know, there are guides and usually two guides go per trip and they'll do all the shuttling of the, you know, the gear and equipment and the guest. And then we'll have uh, myself or one of our drivers that will drive the llamas to the trailhead locations. And 
I try to do about six or seven guided trips a year in the summer and three or four in the fall myself. My wife, she used to do, you know, when we first got started, she used to do everything. Now she's on the administrative side. And so, yeah, we're just, you know, family owned, small little operated business and just trying to make it work every day. So do people request to have you be the, be the guide? I just, I, I've spent a few days in elk camp with you and tasted your cooking. And I could imagine <laughs> that uh, there's probably some requests along that line. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, you know, um, truth be told, some of our guides are just remarkable. And they, if people don't know any different, you know, their guides are way better. Our guides are way better than me or my wife, you know, what, what they do. And they always, if people come back, they usually want the same guide they had before. They're like, that was just amazing. So that's kind of fun. And people that, there's guys out there, right, that are like, oh, man, I'll take my family in the backcountry with llamas in the summertime. And then my wife will let us get some llamas. So, you know, and uh, so they always try to request me on trips like that so I can convince their wife to let them have llamas for hunting. So. <laughs> which which leads me to the next question. What, you know, I think owning llamas, using llamas to pack gear in, all of that, the, the, it makes sense. But what about packing elk? I, I saw that in action last year for the first time. And I'll tell you, I've been around horses, and horses are awesome. I've seen yeah. an entire elk loaded on a horse and packed out. Um, I've also filled barn after <laughs> barn with hay to feed horses for a year. I've also seen more rodeos than I care to recount because of horses, and you end up packing <laughs> sometimes the not only the elk and all the gear, but the horse yeah. itself off the mountain. Um so you know, I've kind of steered away from that. I've I've used ATVs, I've used electric bikes, I've used mountain bikes, but ultimately it really comes down to most of ours have been on our back. And so last fall we were in Montana hunting, uh, shared a camp with Randy and his crew, and Donnie and I were there, and Bo was there, and we roll in the first night, and Bo has an incredible dinner cooked Bo went out the next night and spotted elk and said man i saw a really nice bull over here and we went back the next day and donnie shot a bull in the same area and then Bo loaded up some llamas and packed the elk out and i thought a this guy is a guy you want to have around a lot i know why randy keeps him around now and it's not just for it's not <laughs> just for the packing elk i'll tell you that uh, he just keeps you around for the chocolate cake. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never been to an elk camp like that. It kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different ways that we could be doing things better. But we walked in, and I had a pack on my back with nothing in it, essentially. I mean, I had 10 pounds on my back, which is the lightest pack I'll ever carry. We went in. In 10 minutes, we had the entire elk loaded up on llamas, and we turned around and walked back out, and I had no weight on my back that entire time. And I thought, I've tried this a lot of different ways, but this has my interest. So <laughs> cool. packing elk with llamas, tell me a little about that. You know, that's the reason why I got into it, really, is a little bit of assistance and carrying water to locations that I wanted to hunt, and then packing elk out and. the uh, Llamas are so unique in the fact that, you know, on that trip that we did, Corey, I had two llamas that had never actually packed out any game. They were just three- and four-year-old llamas. So they had some pack experience, you know, not a lot, but they never packed out game before. And growing up with horses, bringing a new horse to elk or maybe an old veteran that's having a bad day, man, they can be really testy and 
they want to throw the elk, don't like the smell, and they don't want to be loaded. It can be quite the hassle. And sometimes it works out great, you know, definitely. But I've never had any issues with the llamas. And bringing those two newbies on that pack trip, and you guys were filming, and, you know, Corey Jacobson and Randy Newberg, the big guns of elk hunting, you know, I was kind of, I was a little nervous, but I was like, no, I know better. They're going to do just fine. <laughs> and when we got up there and we put on elk, we got to the elk and put it on these llamas for the first time and walked out of there. I was like, yeah, same old story, you know? And I think that tells a really important story is that it's a lot easier for most people and their llamas are more user-friendly. Their personalities are such that they're just kind of ready to work and they don't overthink things, you know? Hey, there's an animal right there. Well, you know, my llama handlers, Corey, Bo, and Randy, they're all here, so everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. And their personality traits like that just make them such phenomenal packers <laughs> and much more user-friendly for the, you know, the white audience, I guess. Yeah, I was almost offended by them because they were, it was like we weren't even there. They were trying to pretend we weren't even there. They wouldn't make eye contact with you. They were, you know, it was, they were just, it was all business. <laughs> yeah. There was no... They weren't there. They weren't offended because you didn't scratch them behind the ear. They weren't offended because of anything. It was just like they went up the trail. They did their job and they came out and they didn't expect anything. And they uh, they made it seem like we shouldn't expect anything of them other than them doing their job. So, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Actually, that's a really good way to put it. And they just their work mentality. Yeah, it's really impressive. And they they their pay is working and having something to eat while they're up there. You know, they love to try the new forage at, at every different little step and place you stop. And man, they really love their jobs. <laughs> I think that's, a, I think that's a good thing, you know? So I know in the past I've heard people, you know, that have rented llamas or that have owned llamas and they're irritable. They're terrible to be around. They spit on you. They'll lay down and not get up and do the job. You know, you put a pack on them and they'll lay down and you can't get them to stand up. And you'd mentioned there's different kinds of llamas, and those are kind of the old llamas of the 80s that were not pack animals. What What's a different, what are the different kinds of llamas, and how are yours set up for packing? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll try not to be long-winded here because I get pretty animated about this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, go ahead. They're accustomed. They're accustomed to long-winded, Bo. Okay. <laughs> on this <All> podcast, right. <laughs> if, if you don't at least find three rabbit holes in answering this question, we need to coach you up. <laughs> oh man, here come the rabbit holes. We could talk. Awesome. We could compare them to teenagers or something. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, you know, when I first got into llamas, basically, I I came from the horse outfitting and mule outfitting world you know, big pack trips and the throw fair and such, such things as that. And man, when I told people I was interested in these llamas, the stories that I got from these old outfitters, they, everyone had tried them and everyone hated them. And they said, Oh, I went up to Washington and I picked up these five llamas. They're all hauled the train. They're supposed to be pack llamas. I bought them for 500 bucks a piece and they got 200 yards on the trail with 60 pounds and lay down. I couldn't get them up And you know, that's, that's the G rated version. Um, <laughs> And things, and I just heard this from person after person, and you know, like pretty serious backpack or uh, you know horse packers, and they because they wanted to give it a try because it made sense. And so llamas for about ten or fifteen years carried a horrible, maybe even twenty years, horrible reputation as far as pack animal goes. And uh, when the first llamas came, you know, across the seas to America in the, the late seventies, early eighties time frame, um, you know, 
it wasn't like the countries we were getting the llamas from were sending their best stuff to us, you know, because we were dumb Americans. We didn't know the difference. And I kind of do all the research and look back and realize that the Inca bred these llamas for, you know, six, 7,000 years. And the royalty typically had working llamas. And they had different breeds and different different styles of llamas. They had working llamas, which were the biggest, the strongest, and they actually have a dual coat. So they shed out. You don't ever have to shear them, which is the breed that we're working with today. But I didn't know this until I had llamas for three or four years. And then uh, they had different types of llamas, right, for, for wool, for meat, and and same thing in America. But we usually never, there really has never been a meat market for llamas in America. But predominantly for packing, for wool, and then for show. And so people were showing these llamas. And to go into a show ring, you have to train your animal. It has to be pretty well trained and be able to, to go do some obstacles and be on halter and you know just be easy to be around. Well, when these llamas stopped winning the shows or when they the breed kind of traits changed and people wanted to you know get blue ribbons for something else, these llamas that stopped winning the shows got sold as pack llamas. And that's how they were marketed. So someone would go up and pick a llama that was designated a pack llama because it wasn't winning in the show ring anymore or whatever, you know, something along those lines. And then you get this llama, which is essentially equivalent in dog world as like a poodle. So I get this poodle poodle llama and they put all this weight on it. And the poodle llama was like, hey, why are you doing this to me? You know, this is not my job. <laughs> and these people had horrible experiences. Because what they were really looking for was a German short hair. They needed a pointer, you know, not a not a poodle, not a poodle llama. And uh, I tell people this, and that it's hard for them to to see the differences. And so I did a couple of videos where people were able to see on our YouTube channel the difference between an alpaca and a llama, which is essentially weight and size and and structure. You know, alpacas will get up to you know 150 to 180 pounds as adult, maybe 200 pounds at the most. An average llama is about 280 to 300 pounds. And the working llama, the breed they call the Cara llama, in Latin America, they typically spell it K-A-R-A, and Quechua spelled Q-A-R-A. For some reason in America, we spell the breed (laughs) C-C-A-R-A. You know, so people are like, do you have any Kakaras? I'm like, mm, that's called Kara. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, um, and so... You know, that, that's the kind of difference in the breeds. And so the big car llamas will average, most of them will be over 350 pounds. And, uh, you know, our herd averages 390 pounds, males and females. And then so they're bigger, stronger, more athletic. They have longer range of motion, so they take a longer step. And then they have the structure and the muscling to support it. You know, you would appreciate the biomechanics of it, Corey. And so that allows them to carry heavy, heavy weights, longer distances, more efficiently. And so people that have had tried pack llamas, I mean, there's a lot to raising them and having a herd dynamic and then having the right breed, you know, using a basically a German short hair to, for a, you know, trial, not a poodle. And uh, so I always tell people that not every llama is a pack llama and you really have to do your research and make sure you're getting the right llama for the designated use. And if you want a pet, then you can easily find one of those. But if you want a working llama, they're much harder to find and, there's only about 3,500 to 4,000 right now in North America that are bred and trained for working. So they're not very, not very common. 
Wow, and you have over ten percent of them. It sounds like. Yeah, and you know it was it was <laughs> it was declining, and now people are trying to bring it back to life, and that's been our goal the last twelve years is to preserve the breed, basically. And that's kind and of I what I think. There's there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of elk hunters who are in their forties and mid forties and fifties that are probably driving the demand for pack llamas right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great thing to see. I mean, I was buying llamas, you know, in 2009, 10, 11 and so on. And no one else was looking for them. I was the only guy in town, you know, and people are like, there's this young, crazy red bearded guy driving around the country in a Dodge pickup truck buying every llama there is, you know? <laughs> and so I get calls, but Hey, are you the guys driving around in a Dodge truck buying llamas? It's like, that's me, you know? <laughs> well, I got some for you. Oh, it was crazy. Uh, and, Randy, uh, Randy, what did you think yeah. when he said that there was a market for eating llamas? Uh, I I thought he was kidding me. I I, I really didn't. Uh, so when when Bo tells me something, uh, he's a hard read whether he's jerking your chain <laughs> or whether he's for real. So uh, I I just anyone who would think about eating a llama, uh, I, I, that's a, that's a head scratcher for me because I want this dude to be packing my elk out and carrying my tent in my sleeping bag. People, uh, some people saw our first hunt with Bo when we went into the mountains of Wyoming and it was a blizzard snowed and I brought so much stuff at, at the trailhead. I'm Bo has a sorting stuff and I'm thinking, well, I'll take that out. He's like, no, put it in here. And I'm like, well, I better leave this here. No, put it in here. <laughs> I I had a camp that looked like the Taj Mahal up there in that blizzard. And people are like, boy, you must've been miserable. Nope. <laughs> and so, uh, the, and then when we're walking in, Bo, uh, Bo says, Randy, you lead the trail. I'm thinking, well, this will result in bad outcomes if I'm leading the trail, but okay. And then Bo walks up beside me, and he's like, what are you thinking? Mm -hmm. And I smile, and I look at him, and I'm like, what I'm thinking is I should have discovered these things a long <laughs> time ago. No, and I'm, I'm going to be hunting elk way past my Social Security date. So that that's what was going through my head. So no no need to eat them. No, uh, that no. blasphemy. I had a I had a friend who rented llamas probably fifteen or twenty years ago, and he had a satellite phone and he called the people he had rented the llamas <laughs> from and asked them how much it would cost him to buy them right there on the spot. But he wasn't wanting to buy them because they were good llamas. He was wanting to shoot them and pay them for them so he didn't have to pack out with them. Because <laughs> it was, it was exactly what both said. They were the, wow. you know, they weren't made for that. And he went in there and put a, a heavy pack on, I think, two or three llamas and tried going in. And they laid down halfway in there. A blizzard came in and he couldn't get them up. He couldn't get to where he needed to be to set up his camp. And he called the people in all seriousness and said, if I don't bring these three llamas back to you, what do I need to pay you? And it was some ridiculous amount when they found out he was just going to shoot them and leave them there. And so he ended up not, but he about died in that blizzard and yeah. couldn't get the llamas to get up I've and do anything. Lot, and Corey. Yeah. It was, uh, that's, that's Unfortunately. what it brought to mind that experience that, well, that, that was probably the only person I know that would have maybe ate the llamas and 
It wouldn't. It wouldn't have been because he wanted to. But <laughs> uh, wow! Right. So we had a chance in elk camp a little bit, you know. But we're tired. You're you're cooking an amazing meal and telling us about your llamas, and I'm just trying to stay awake to eat the meal so I can go back to bed and get up early the next morning. But since that time, I've had a, an opportunity to really think through it and think, okay, I'm going to kind of be the pessimist or what about this? What about this? And as I'm going through the list, I thought, well, he's already proven that one wrong because I spent four days next to him and that never happened. And, but I'm sure there's got to be some cons to, to using llamas for packing elk. Are there? Yeah, I think there definitely is, you know, I think the difference is, is like, you know, if you're going to use them to pack elk, and you're not, you know, they're not like at the ranch and someone's going to bring them to you once you get your elk down. You have to take care of them, you know. Um, they need food and water. You have to spend some time doing it. And that's, you know, for a lot of people, that time is a con. But I always tell them, it's like, look, if you're camped high in a basin and you don't have necessarily good access to water, your llamas can usually bring enough water, you know, for you guys, for the llamas and you for three days. And so if you only have to f- take care of them a little bit in the night in the morning, and you're a backpack hunter, think about all the time you're saving because you don't have to go down and get water every day. I guess a lot of time you're saving for every other day. And I said, the time, you know, that you save is pretty, it's important because that allows you to spend more time hunting and doing what you want to do and less time worrying about water. And so, and that's for high, you know, high basin type camps and things like that. And so, you know, downfall, um, I think to packing with llamas is that they are an animal and things can go wrong. You know, we've had nine years of great success renting llamas and no llamas or humans have been injured. <laughs> They've all come home and been happy, but something can go wrong, you know? And so I think that's important that people know. And, you know, it could be something really random and freaky, but, uh, we, we haven't had it happen yet, but the day will come, you know? So I think it's important that people realize that, yeah, they're not just a you know machine. You put oil in it and away we go. Things can go wrong and, you just need to take that on, I guess, when you're doing it. Definitely. What, I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to add a point to what Bo just touched on there, Corey. In my e-scouting, when I know I'm using llamas, there's always the concern that, okay, I'm going to hike way back in there and there's going to be a bunch of horses, you know, guys hunting from horses, and I'm going to kick myself that I hike back in there. And these guys brought in a big luxury camp and – well, when I e-scout now that I have access to llamas, I find the places where the horse hunters can't go because there's not enough water for their horses. With the llamas, I can either carry enough water because they don't drink or require as much as a horse because they're a camelid, and I uh, then kind of have some places that I don't got to worry about that little detail of horse hunters showing up there and setting up a big camp. Did you say they're a camelid? Yep, that's too. right, isn't it, Bo? Yeah, yeah, you got, you nailed it. <laughs> Does that mean they're like, yeah, from the camel family? Yes, yeah, um, they're part yeah. of the camelid family. So, part of the camelid family, you have llamas and alpacas, and then you have the wild, the you know, the wild version of llamas, which is guanacos, and wild version of llamas, which are uh, alpacas, which is vicuñas. So, there's your four. And then you have camels. So you got five that are part of the camelid family. So do llamas eat Cheetos? I have one that would (laughs) most know. (laughs) Cheetos. 
I, the only reason I ask is I went to the zoo one time when I was a kid and there was a camel there and we had a bag of Cheetos and that thing rolled out a tongue that was about 18 inches long and ate the whole bag of Cheetos. <laughs> Every time I hear the word camel, I think of Cheetos. That'll make a young kid sad, loses Cheetos for the day. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I, mean, I was looking to buy another bag to go feed the camel. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Good story. So, um, so what, you know, you're talking about maintenance at camp, and you've got to make sure they have water, but they can pack water. If, if you are around water, what what's a normal routine in the morning and the evening? Can you leave them all day by themselves how do you tie them up what's what's kind of a day in the life of a, a llama. llama at elk camp yeah that's a great question you know the llamas i always tell people the golden rule number two with llamas and there's only three is that uh, you just need to make sure they have food and water and when you're hungry they're hungry when you're tired they're tired type of a thing and so <clears throat> at in the morning right before we leave for our day well I'll, i always make sure the llamas have a chance to drink water and i'll get a i have these four gallon square buckets that we put inside the panniers they pack in there really nice and on the way in you put all your gear and then when you get to camp you can use them as you know to something to sit on or to you can get the llamas water with it so i'll take it over to each llama which takes you know depending on how many llamas you have anywhere from five to ten minutes and then i might restake them out and so the llamas are just on a picket line much kind of like a dog stake it's about 18 feet long and so they have a pretty good radius of where they can go and browse. And so I want to make sure that when I stake them out, that there's nothing they're going to get tangled up in. No trees and no big brushes. Um, brush. That's kind of hard to do sometimes, depending on where you camp. Um, but usually you can always find that spot. So they'll just kind of graze throughout the day. And when you come back at night, you check on them, make sure they're doing good, maybe move their stakes a little bit, and then give them another chance for water. And at night, I usually give them a little bit of grain pellets just to be buddy buddy with them and let them know that they're going to be used soon because I'm going to be successful. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the routine and you can definitely leave them in camp. So in the summertime when we're doing our pack trips, they almost, we move camp almost every single day. So summer season, they're working really hard in the fall. They're like kicked out on the beach, you know, hands behind their head they're like ah, we got to base camp now we're gonna sit here till boke and figure out how to get something on the ground <laughs> <laughs> and so hunting for them is like a breeze you know compared to the summer trips where they do seven miles today 10 miles tomorrow nine the next day 12 the next day five on the way last day you know so they just move in camp every day and so that's kind of the routine and pretty simple and a lot of times you know that's that's the routine in the late fall it seems like but you know in september and october one of my favorite things in the world to do is have my wife drop me off at a trailhead and then give her two or maybe three spots where she might pick me up in five to seven days and say, Hey, I'm just going to take these llamas, three of them usually, and just go wherever I can. I need to go to find game. And so she'll pick me up somewhere different. So I have to get to point B or C in that five to seven days. And that's my fun, funnest thing to do is just, you know, move until I'm in the, in the animals, you know, and then, then hunt them from there. Very cool. You mentioned grain pellets. Do you have to pack in grain pellets for them? Like nutritionally, do they need that? Or is that just more of a reward? You give them a little butter dish full of grain pellets at night? <laughs> you know, it's more of a reward than anything, except for in the, the months in the fall where there's really nothing for them. The, the quality of the feed's not very good. And at that point, they just need a little extra supplement because they're working hard. 
in the, you know, the sugars and the moisture and the nutrients go out of the grass, you know, in that October, November timeframe, there's still plenty, but nothing like there was in July and August and September. And so, um, it's always nice too to have a little bit in case your llama gets undone at the camp and you come home and there's two llamas there, but one of them's 200 yards away, just sitting there chewing his cud with a smile. Like, <laughs> well, I got out. So here I am. <laughs> and then you can shake that, uh, those little pellets and they'll come over to you and you can just catch them back up. So, so that leads into a good discussion because horses, you know, just keeping horses in a fenced area, it seems like they always find the weakest link in the fence and get out and you get neighbors calling saying your horses are in our garden again, or horses are in the middle of the road. Um, Horses don't always come to a grain bucket, no matter <laughs> if there's greener grass over the hill, they're going there no matter what you've got in your hands. So are llamas, I mean, is it like that? Do llamas stay in the enclosed areas once you get them back home? Do they get out a lot? They seem smart. Like they seem like that that uh, that cowboy that sits over quietly in the corner and doesn't say much. And yeah, they, <laughs> they have a lot going on in their mind, it seems like. Llamas are a lot like you, Corey. They analyze everything and uh, and they think about it. And if they wanted to, they could escape anything. You know, I'm sure you were <laughs> you were like down you were a kid, but uh, they really don't push the the fences and boundaries. Nothing like a horse. You know, they don't lean over fence like a horse. They won't put their head through on the fence like the horse. Um, as long as they have something to eat, you know, inside the fence line. Um, so llamas are really good that way. And I've kept llamas in some really, really bad fences and learned like, oh, they're totally fine, but this isn't a safe fence. You know, this I need to I need to fix this. And so I only ever had one llama that was an escape artist, you know, out of the four hundred and seventy now. And he would get out and then you'd your neighbor would call or something and you would go and yell at him and yell out his name and then he would run back in the same way he got out. So I'd fix that hole. You know, and this is before we had a decent fence. And he, I mean, it was a regular deal. And so the neighbor learned to just yell at him and then he'd run <laughs> back in. It was so funny. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're really smart, easy going on fences, you know, and obviously the better fence you have, the better it is. But you just don't have to worry about them like you do with, you know, cows and horses. They usually know they're in trouble and want to come back. And llamas that aren't trained at all <laughs> are tough. You know, like they got to be trained and used to people. Because there's llamas that I've met, you know, in my travels that are really treated poorly. You know, I went to go pick up some llamas once in Montana from a guy, and I was buying three from him, and this was probably 10 years ago. And he grabbed the llamas by the ear. And, you know, like put kind of captured him in a pen, grabbed him by the ear and then had his daughter put the halter on. And I was like, oh, that's that's really abrasive, you know. And these llamas, when they saw him, they would just run. And so they were trained to pack. But, man, they did not like people. And so whenever they got a chance, they just wanted to get away from them. And so there's always exceptions to the rule. And so llamas are treated and trained well. You're going to have, you know, pretty good experiences of llamas in your pen. Um Anyway, what do they eat? Sorry, Randy, go ahead. Uh, Bo, when you brought up fences, uh, one of the questions that often comes up, and it came up to me, and you gave me the simple solution, but some people might be thinking about this. A lot of times we're out in the the woods and we come across a grazing allotment fence, and there's not a gate or anything. How do llamas negotiate a fence, and what what can you do to make it easier for them to get over a fence? Yeah, that's a great question. 
you know, a lot of those fences aren't like super tight unless they're kind of brand new or a few years old. And so what I've done in the past is I'll take all the, the gear off the llamas. I'll keep the saddle on, but take the panniers off and throw them on the other side of the fence. And then what I usually do is in my first aid kit, I carry a little ratchet strap, you know, like an inch and a half, two inch ratchet strap. And I'll ratchet the fence together, the wire, and then ask the llamas to jump over it. So they just have kind of one central area to jump over. And if it's three feet or less, they can jump over it. No problem, you know? And so, and they usually clear it without even clipping it with their feet. Sometimes the young guys don't know quite what they're doing, but that works out really well. Um, so that's some things that I've done in the past. Cause I used to hike the divide a lot and man, there's fences randomly up there. And you're just like, Hey, what's this thing doing here? You know? So that's where I learned to carry the ratchet strap was when I was hiking the divide. So now it's on all of our first aid kits. So. Man, Andy, that's a great question. I didn't even have that on my list or on my friend's list. The reason it was on my list <clears throat> is because there's a place I'm going and there's this little quarter section wide strip of BLM that connects two big chunks of BLM. And I'm looking at my aerial imagery and I see a fence right transecting that mile long my, it, so it's a mile long by a quarter mile wide. Well, right through the middle of it is this fence. And I'm thinking now, how am I going to get the llamas over that fence without having to trespass to go down where the gate is? Because the gate on that allotment fence is down off on the private. So I called Bo. I said, how am I going to do this? And so he told me that little trick. I'm like, aha. Those guys aren't keeping me and my llamas out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So back on the the food, so a little bit of grain, I'm guessing a couple pounds of grain pellets per llama that they would, ideally you'd want them to pack into a camp? Yeah, I just basically pack, I try to pack a pound a day per llama. So if you've got two llamas, you've got 10 pounds, you know, and which is pretty minimal. Then you, you don't obviously you don't have to worry about packing it out when you're coming out. Yeah. And then they just graze on grass, browse. What, what, what's their typical diet in the back country? Yeah. You know, they're kind of a, a hybrid between deer and elk as far as, you know, uh, browsing and foraging. Um, they'll eat a lot of shrubbery, a lot of tree bark, things like that, a little bit of sagebrush tops, and then a lot of grass. So, <laughs> Park, dirt, rocks, whatever's there, they're, they're getting Yeah, sand. They're, they're not quite as bad as a goat, I'm guessing. No, they're not, definitely. I would say on that, yeah, they're kind of in between a horse and a goat as far as, you know, what, what they choose to eat and what's best for them, for sure. Yeah. What about back at home? How, what do you feed them? Do you have to feed them like hay every day or? Yeah, that's a great question. So basically like May through November, we feed them pretty much all that they're on pasture grass. So they're just, we have irrigated pasture. And so that's what they're eating during the, during those months. And we'll usually have the females will have a little bit of hay for them to pick on now and then. And then, uh, during the winter months, we feed them hay and we try to buy about eight pounds of hay per llama per day. And that kind of gets us through the winter and helps, you know, we'll feed them that per day. We usually only eat about six, five to six pounds, but we have a little bit of waste when we're feeding it and then a little bit of waste when we're storing it. So it's a few budget somewhere between eight and 10 pounds a day. And we try to do it for about, you know, we average, we basically, if you say 10 pounds a day, 
is what you're going to buy for the year. Uh, 10 pounds a day, months or 30 days for seven months. That's basically 2,100 pounds of feed per llama per year, which is about a ton. And a ton in Idaho is going from 120 to $150 right now. So your hay cost per llama is about 150 bucks per year if you have a little bit of pasture grass for them. And how big of an area, of, like if you have, say, two llamas, how big of an area of pasture grass or grazing do you need fenced off for them to feed them? That's a great question. Um, and it kind of just depends, you know, like somewhere like central Idaho is very different than New Mexico, for example, is, you know, as far as, you know, water rights and forage and elevation. So it really varies, but on average, I'd say, you know, half an acre to a quarter acre is about perfect for a pair of llamas typically. Yeah. My friend just has a couple acres he lives on. So probably be sufficient <laughs> yeah sounds like it <laughs> so can, can i can i add a question then because i think i know this couple acres that your friend lives on and it occasionally has a wolf standing in his driveway uh Bo, how do these things handle wolves grizzly bears and other predators you know that's a great question so in the wild and I can just kind of tell you my experiences and then you can, I, you know, pull what makes sense to you out of it. Um, in the wild, you know, pumas and mountain lions, that's their natural predator for sure. And when they come across a mountain lion track or scent, or I've been hiking up before um, in the Wellsville's and went underneath this uh, juniper canopy and there was a mountain lion sitting in the tree, just like a, a young mountain lion watching us. And I was, my mom was freaking out. I was like, what are they doing? And they kept looking up in the tree, and finally I saw it, you know, his face sitting there. And so llamas will always let you know if a mountain lion's around. They just do not like them, you know, and they'll do their alarm call, and they'll be unsettled. So if your llamas ever, you know, abnormally unsettled, they're usually a mountain lion around. And then uh, bears, I've seen my llamas, they've seen so many bears that sometimes if they don't feel threatened, they won't even let you know. We were in the Jedi Smith Wilderness one time. This is about four years ago. It was the middle of the day in a cinnamon phase uh, black bear was about 250 yards and all llamas looked at it and I was like, Oh yeah, we must see a deer over there. And there's a bear and none of them told me, I was like, what are you guys doing? You know, but the bear was running away from us and the llamas weren't scared at all. But I've also had grizzlies come into camp and llamas do their alarm call as they felt threatened. And so they're always going to usually, if they know what's going on, they're going to let you know by their alarm call. I've never had, you know, since we've been packing, I've never had, any attacks on any of my llamas by wolves, mountain lions or bears, which has been really fortunate actually, especially when you consider that we guide in the Zorka mountain range, we guide in Yellowstone national park, some of the higher density areas for grizzlies. And then, uh, well, there's been a couple times where we've had wolves come to camp where we can't find out a ridgeline one time in the sawtooth. I was in there and I had actually shot a wolf the night before that was actually, trailing over to my elk that I killed the day before and I went over to go get it the next day. And I was like, man, those wolves are trying to get over to my kill. So there's three of them and I shot one. And then that night, those two other wolves came in as we were getting to camp. They came in, jumped over the ridge, looked at the llamas like left, right, left, right with their heads and then turned around and went back. So that was the closest encounter I've had with wolves. But I think they kind of just stumbled upon us, you know. So those are some of my experiences um, we've had a lot of close calls and encounters just, I guess, in proximity more than anything, but 
alarm call kind of saves the day. I think it stuns the animals, you know, the predators. And then if you're around, it allows you to know what's going on and check it out. So, Can you make the, uh, the alarm call? Can you mimic that for us? Oh, man, for how much money? <laughs> <laughs> people, always just ask, people always ask me if I could you know, put me on the spot and say, can you demonstrate what an elk sounds like? <laughs> I'll, I I'll do the alarm call like a, if, you, if you give me a free elk calling lesson for 20 minutes. <laughs> that sounds like a fair trade. Okay, so it sounds like this. <laughs> it does. That's what it sounds wow. like. <laughs> Randy, yeah, I, I need to hear Randy do that. Can you do that, Randy? <laughs> I, I can't. Usually, what you hear from me is, "Would you think? Shut up! I'm trying to get some sleep in here." But in Wyoming, an, an elk walked right through our camp one night, and the llamas, right. the llamas were going bananas, and I hear them calling. And Bo's in the tent over there. I'm like, Bo, what's going on? I don't know. They saw something. We wake up the next morning and there's a single bull elk track walking right between all the tents and right through the llamas. In between. <laughs> I remember that. That's a good, good, that was funny. Yeah. I mean, Corey, it was like two feet away from one of the tents. It was that, it was wild. And we knew because it was snow on the ground, you know, fresh snow. So how do, how do elk react when they see the llamas? Like, cause you've been packing and, the elk see a, a string of llamas coming, are they taking off running or can you kind of hide behind the llamas and blend your legs in with them and walk right up to the elk? Okay. Well, this is a cool, this is a cool subject. This is a little hidden, hidden gem, Corey, that doesn't get talked about very much. <laughs> okay. The new way to decoy elk. The new way to decoy elk. Um, so l- last year I was in Wyoming hunting elk in, uh, on draw tag and I was in the wide open and I just basically was so excited to be up there. Um, I didn't have all my faculties about me and I got really impatient. I'm like, I'm going after these things. And I was in the wide open and these elk came across this, uh, this, this big pasture, this big meadow and the whole herd. And as soon as I saw them, I got behind my llamas and they all stopped and looked at my llamas like, huh, what are those long neck weirdos doing over there? And me and uh, Tyler, the camera guy hiding behind the llamas, as the, all these elk passed by, is 200 yards. They didn't even care. And as soon as they got into the timber, then we hurry and moved. But had we not had the llamas, there's no way that would have worked out like that. And I've had so many encounters, I mean, dozens and dozens, where, you know, bull elk will come into camp, you know, in the evening and sit there and bark and wonder what in the world those llamas, 50 yards, 40 yards, and just sit there all night. And it drives me crazy because I go and try to shoo them off, but they're so mesmerized <laughs> by the llamas. They just won't leave. And uh, this is another story. So my brother and I are sitting up in the <clears throat> on the divide country about six or seven years ago. And we got to the trailhead really early in the morning. You know, at three in the morning, we started hiking. And our goal was to get to the top so we could start hunting in what we thought was the best elk country about seven o'clock in the morning, you know, first light. And we get almost to the top and it's, getting light on us and the elk are bugling like crazy so i'm like hey you just hold the llamas i'm gonna start calling these elk and we got elk bugling on the left and elk bugling on the right so we start calling and these elk start to converge on us and we're in the bottom of the drainage start coming down from each side i'm like oh my goodness this is gonna be so cool so i tell my little brother i was like, you get your bow ready and i'm just gonna hold all the llamas right here and i'm sitting there and it's really quiet in between each of the bugles and the llamas are sitting there eating grass 
and I'm, I can hear it. It's like it's amplified for some reason. They're just picking the grass and then grabbing it and ripping it. And then they're moving their pads and their feet, you know, and they move a rock or something. And I'm sitting, and these elk are running. And I'm like, what is going to happen? They're going to, like, smash us in between each other. And I'm like, how are they coming so hard? I made two cow calls. But the llama, I realized, I was like, they think that there's cow elk down here eating grass. You know, like, it just, everything they were doing just mimicked elk. And I'm like, this is crazy. So my brother, I was like, draw, draw, draw. And he's like, which way? He's like, left, draw, draw, draw. So he draws, and this elk comes running through the timber, looking at the llamas. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We're going to get stabbed here. And I was like, just just draw. He gets four yards away, stops, looks at the llamas. My brother shoots him, wheels off. <laughs> and we just were like, what just happened? You know, this is insane. Um, so those are some of my encounters. But elk, I've never seen him run off then flee like crazy when they've seen llamas like they'll see a person you know or and the smell sometimes seems to mask some of the human scent sometimes as well so those are some of my stories um and yeah that's what i know okay so you're you're painting a really good picture it's <laughs> my friend is my friend is I'm going to be really you know? excited to hear all of this <laughs> what uh how much weight can they pack yeah, no, I forgot. I'm just I'm excited for him because yeah. it's I know he's been looking for something's but yeah. What uh well you guys should have should have seen the face of the llamas when that bull elk was running at him at four yards. They were like bug eyed like what's that guy doing? Oh man, that was funny. But yeah, you know, llamas you know, if a llama's a really small llama, for example, they're not obviously gonna carry as much as the bigger, stronger llamas, but our average llama will carry 70 pounds a day throughout the whole working season. And so that's anywhere from, you know, 120 to 150 days a year. And our average trip's about seven miles a day. You know, that's kind of our standard go-to. And obviously we have big days, you know, 15 to 16 mile days and, you know, large days at 12 miles a day. But <clears throat> that's kind of their standard, 70 miles, 70 pounds, kind of every day, day in and day out. They're really good at that. But when you get into... And that's all day? Like they'll pack that all day, all day. Yep, yep. Time and time and time again. And um, we have llamas that just came off the Boulder Rim in Utah, and they did four days, and they averaged eight and a half miles a day. And the first days, um, twenty eight hundred feet of elevation, and the last day is uh, thirty one hundred feet of you know you you lose that elevation. So that's a pretty good trip, you know. And and they did it, and the guides told me that the llamas never even breathed hard. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um. But when you get to a situation where you need to pack out elk, obviously 70 pounds only gets you so far. But elk carry meat a lot different than they would uh, camping gear. You know, you can ride it closer to the body. You can keep it higher up towards their spine. And I think the comparison is kind of over the years, I realized about 70 pounds of pack gear is pretty equivalent to about 90, 100 pounds of, you know, meat. I know that it's a different weight, but the way the llamas carry it and how I know that they do the same trail with 70 pounds of camp gear, 90 pounds of meat is, uh, it's, they, they act the same, you know, they're able to do it the same distance, the same pace, and they feel totally comfortable with it. So, um, when you got to pack out elk, it's definitely okay to load them a little heavier. They'll definitely do it and capable of, of it. So, so with that being said, and I know we, we packed up Donnie's elk with them last year and you've got a little scale to make sure that the, the weights are balanced on each side and everything, but, you know, we hear the stories of people that shoot an elk and the 
hindquarters or 120 pounds each, and they had 550 pounds of, of elk meat. <laughs> and I actually tackled that question a couple podcasts ago about the 350 pounds of cut and wrapped meat off of a spike. And, you know, we, <laughs> we made, I, I think That's the Boldani shot was a really good representative average bull elk a five point you know two and a half three and a half year old elk um and i think people would be surprised how light those quarters were but if i remember right the fronts were were they 38 to 40 pounds something like that and the hinds were were they 52 55 does that sound right yeah I was yeah. going to say fifty-one, but yeah, I think you think you're right there. That, that was bone in, yep. in, right? Bones were in. If I remember right, just hanging was. in the tree. Yep. So we put the two hinds on one llama. That you know, you're looking at a hundred, uh, hundred and ten pounds. Is that any any concern with that kind of weight yeah. on a on a llama? No, definitely not. You know, especially these veteran packers. The llama needs to be five or six years old before they tackle weight like that. But man, remember we took those llamas, and I, it wasn't a tremendous all day pack but they didn't even breathe hard you know and they were still straight up on their legs and they didn't act like it was heavy even a little bit so that 110 pounds was you know that's a good standard for elk packing if all your llamas came out with elk on their back at 110 pounds even if it was up eight or nine ten miles like my trip in wyoming was nine plus um man they did it all the way and no problems you know and so you gotta be conscientious of what you're doing but um yeah, usually that's pretty pretty safe bet. Hundred ten pounds, no problem. How many llamas do you need to pack out an entire elk? If you're looking, one of them's carrying the two hinds, another one's carrying the two fronts, and probably can handle the the miscellaneous meat split up. I'm guessing because that's probably going to put it up there about that same range, hundred pounds. You know, um, sometimes. You can get by with two and three is always the safe bet. You know what I mean? And if you're trying to get camp out, I think you need four and and you can get camp and one elk out with no weight on your back with four. Um, So if you're just trying to get an elk out and maybe it's a bigger bowl, you want three and, you know that bowl of Donnie's. What do we took? We I think that so. Yeah. Llamas, if I, remember, right? I think it was. Or, we might. We might have had. Yeah. Gosh, I don't remember. I I was just trying to figure out how to strike up a conversation with them because they kept ignoring me and I forgot to look how many there really were. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know, three llamas, I guess, the safe bet, and you definitely can with two um, most of the time. So. Awesome. So transporting them you had uh you had a normal truck with some really cool racks on it is that kind of the standard or do you need a trailer what's what's your recommendation for transporting them yeah i think my recommendation is kind of the standard just to have a nice small little trailer you know a little tandem axle 12 foot stock trailer you pick those up for about two thousand bucks to three thousand bucks most of the time but if you're gonna do a lot of short hauls you know like an hour or two from your house or three um the stock rack in the back of the truck's really nice because it allows you to you know it's got the ones that we build they got a little gear storage you can put two llamas in there it's really quick and easy you don't have a trailer and then uh when you're going on really bad roads or you've got a, a trailhead you know it's tough to get to as long as you can get a pickup there you can get your llamas there you know and some tra- trails and trailheads are really hard to get trailers to so the stock rack just makes it really convenient uh, for a lot of the short distance stuff or rough terrain. Yeah. So 
yeah, I, I always tell people to probably start with the trailer if they're going to buy llamas, but you know, it's nice to have more than one arsenal in your, or one or more tool in your arsenal. And so I think having a stock rack is yep. really helpful. Okay. And then what other gear you mentioned saddles and my first thought was Randy riding on a llama on a saddle, but they're probably not, probably not <laughs> riding saddles, but you got, you know, panniers, halters, lead ropes. Yep. It, that's right. Yep. We've got a halter that goes over the face. That's the harness and then a lead rope. That's We usually have six and a half foot lead ropes. And then you have their saddle blanket, their saddle itself and all the rigging and then uh, panniers, the bags that go on the side and then you have a stake and a stakeout lead, and ours are twelve foot stakeout leads, and we connect the lead rope that's on them to the stakeout lead, so that way they have eighteen feet of lead rope. And then you want to have a brush and a scale, and maybe some of those four and a half gallon buckets um, for one of your two llamas, so you can pack in some odds and ends, kitchen gear, and keep stuff you know waterproof and such. And uh, you know, a trailer to transport. And a few pellets, and you're on your way. Even your friend is on his way. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here taking notes on all of this. That's <laughs> that's how good of a friend I am. He's going to be <laughs> really excited to go back through all of this. Hey, Bo, uh, when, when you shoot a rifle near a llama, what's the reaction? Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to get a llama to really freak out like a horse because I'm just surprised that they haven't after all these years. <laughs> and so I always get the new llama, there's like the two and the three-year-olds, and I take them on a lot of pack trips in the summer, you know. Um, I'm trying to take my son this year almost every weekend, and I take the new llamas to train them. And, you know, I'll grab the 22 and shoot it, and it's so weird. Those llamas just don't do anything, even the like, two-year-olds that just have been out for the very first time. And most of the time, they won't even pick up their heads from eating grass, you know. They're just like, huh, what's that? Okay. And I always love that. That's why I keep trying to get one that freaks out about it. But to this day, I've never had one freak out about it or even do more than just raise their head. So it's kind of, that's just their nature. You know, I'm not trying to sell sell it or anything. It's just, that's just a fact. It's just who they are. That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> you no, it's not. It's, it's nice. It's weird that you can't make an animal freak out. Like, that's just... I, th- there's something mesmerizing about a llama's personality, and I'm still confused about whether I'm frustrated <laughs> by it or whether it's really impressive. But they're just, they're like that veteran that just sits there and is not phased by anything. And I just, I'd love to, I don't know, I guess that brings up the question of, of a pet, you know, for my friend's daughter who really wants a horse. Yeah. What, uh, is she going to be able to go out and bond with a llama or are they kind of oh, standoffish? Yeah, definitely be able to bond with them. You know, and llamas aren't like a dog is like, hey, pet me on the ear. This this thing, bonding thing's awesome, you know. I want to sit in your lap all day. Like, they, they're they okay to be around you and work with you, and they'll come up and take treats out of your hand and play in the pasture and be funny and goofy. And But they're definitely not like a dog, and I think people, you know, want them to be because they want to <laughs> bond with them on that level. And they're just not. And some are, you know, but I would say generally most aren't. And, uh that one llama, I have a llama named Milo, and when he was a two- and three-year-old, you know, man, he was just a pill, you know, and he was so rambunctious and has so much personality, and now he's a six-year-old, and we took him last year, Corrine packed out Donnie's elk with him, and he was just a stalwart gentleman, you know, easygoing, and if you would have saw him at two, he's like, man, this guy's crazy, 
And so you have to train them and spend time with them. And that bonding helps them become that way, you know, and I think they always have good in them. You just got to train it and pull it out. But naturally they're just so funny and goofy. Um, and that same llama that we packed out that elk with, um, he now, I brought him inside my house, you know, my wife, she didn't, she didn't want to do it. And I said, no, we're doing this. You know, I, I, I demand that we do it. And, uh, so I jumped him up our log steps, came under the balcony in the front door and out the back door. My wife was, when he got in the hardwood, she's like, this is, this is not happening. And so I guess llamas don't always start the way they end up. Cause you got to put the time in the train. I'm just like a dog, but man, the more time you spend with them, the more that they learn. And a lot of llamas just want to keep learning, you know, like, if I spent more time with them, I could teach them all sorts of cool tricks. And so I think it's a good, the more time you spend with them, the better they become basically. I, Corey, I have a recommendation for your friend. Yeah. Since, since llamas are so much less cost to care for than a horse, your friend should buy his daughter two llamas instead of one. I mean, it sounds like three would probably be ideal. But there, Yeah. I mean, if one is good, two is gooder, and three is just great. Goodest. And four is the icing <laughs> on the cake. <laughs> on the llama cake. So you know, there you there you go. You could buy your friend could buy two for his daughter and two for his wife. Yeah, I don't know how his wife would take that. <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea how your friend's wife would take that. That's why I laughed. <laughs> so here's a here's here's something that we're going to start doing. That friend Corey is as our as our herd starts to grow. I have a really and even when we had next to no llamas, I had a really hard time selling them. And I'm really trying to preserve the breed by giving them a, a good reputation and give them work to do, so they can kind of pay for themselves. And we're getting to the point where we have quite a few packers and sometimes we're not able to put them all the way to work because our business has kind of hit its, uh, you know, the economy scale is such that the more we grow, the more expensive it gets. And so we're kind of at that critical mass point where we're like, okay, this is where we wanted to be. Now let's just do better at our job. And so we're going to start doing season rentals where someone can take a llama, like your friend here, Corey, take a pair of llamas, pick them up when they want to start scouting in the summer or if they want to just for the fall and take them for a season and keep them at their house and their pasture for a pretty nominal fee. And uh, that way our llamas get used and someone gets to kind of own slash use them just every year. And they don't have to take care of them in the winter and then the months they're not going to use them. And that way I don't have to sell them because I really don't want to do that. You know, I, I will, I need to at times, but I think this is something that we've done when we first started because we didn't have the work for them, but now we do. And now we get too many. We don't have enough work for everybody. And so the seasonal rental thing is something that uh, I'm really excited about for people like your friend that hopefully it makes sense for them or they can do it as a trial run. Like, hey, let's have these at our place for three or four months and see how it goes. I'm sure. And your other friend, your other friend Randy, did that last year, and already has four of them reserved for this yes. year. Yes, <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm glad we didn't give out the phone number to call now before we mentioned this, because the phones would be ringing off the hook. I think that's that was one of my 
questions I had on here with horses is I could never justify the cost of owning a horse and feeding it for 11 and a half months to take it out and pack out a couple elk in the fall. It just, doesn't make I mean, if you're an outfitter or something and you're doing it day after day for 60 straight days, you can justify it. But for a regular guy who just, you know, wants some help packing out an elk, um, it's hard to justify the expense of maintaining, feeding, buying, you know, right. trailers, stock racks, all that. So you're, uh, you might be onto something. My, my friend might have a pretty good chance of convincing me to look into something like that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I knew I was so, going to pique his interest, this friend of yours. I was going to say you you held the you held the icing for the end there. If you had mentioned that at the beginning, I probably would have <laughs> admitted that my friend was uh, was not as interested maybe as I am, but. Uh, what can, yeah. we, can we talk price? <laughs> can we talk price and what it costs to to rent them if somebody was going on a say seven or ten day elk hunt and need you know had nothing needed trailer and everything to to go on that elk hunt? What what are they looking at? Yeah, that's a good question. So we basically price things on a on a per day period. So if someone's going to go for a week and they want two llamas, for example. It's just $80 per llama per day, so you're 160 a day. And then our stock racks are $15 a day, but let's say someone wants a trailer, you know, because they have all the gear and equipment that come in from back east to rent llamas in Hunt, Idaho. So we'd be looking at $60 a day for the trailer. And uh, so for the week, that's 420 And then for the llamas, it's 160 a day. So that's uh, 1120 So let's see, they'd be 1540 pretty much all said and done. Or uh, you know, fifteen hundred plus dollars, I guess, yeah. for a week to rent the llamas and the trailer for seven days, and then they bring them back and drop them off, and don't have to feed them for the next fifty-one weeks. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Yeah. And that's every. That's your stakeouts, your lead ropes, your packs, panniers, saddles, everything. Everything extra feed, and if they're going in, say they come in November, it's no extra cost, and we'll send extra hay and. Just whatever we need to do to keep the llamas happy and healthy, and we we t- we do that ourselves. So, yeah, very cool. So, you know, and then, I guess tailing off of that, and I have much less in- interest in purchasing a llama now that there are other options. But what what does a llama pack llama cost if you were going to buy one? So um, that's a great question, and you know, pack llamas that are used for breeding are obviously their breeding stocks more expensive. But a good pack llama, you're going to be spending $3,500 on typically. And you can find some around that $2,000, range. But um, quality and training and size um, is going to vary a lot at that spot. But if you budget to $3,500, all the way up to $5,000 a llama. That's kind of the standard right now. Um, and breeding stock goes for more than that. But that llama, you know, if you buy a llama around three or four or five years old, you're going to get 15 years of utility. You know, so if you have a llama for 15 years of, of work, and you might gonna, you're probably gonna have them longer, as far as you know, you own them, you're packing out elk, you're working them on the summer. You know, 15 years. Let's just say you spend five thousand dollars on a llama. Um, you know, over or you buy it for five thousand dollars, I guess I should say, or 15 years. You know, you're 330 bucks a year basically, yeah. as far as your cost goes, um, and and providing for that llama so you know 
you only have to pay that much money to get into it. And I think it's a pretty good deal. And, so, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the, the general cost right now. So, so where does the, uh, the seasonal cost, if you were to use one for scouting and keep it for a couple months and then bring it back, where does that fall in between owning and renting? So that's a, that's a real bargain in my opinion. Um, and so we, we can sit a season, lease you know we consider it to be three months whether it's june july august or july august september you know what i mean so three months however whenever the months start and that goes for all the gear and equipment and the llama and the person that's releasing the llama needs to come and pick it up and drop it off and make sure that it's well cared for during its time there but those go for 1200 bucks up to 1600 bucks for the three months so that's per llama so that's per llama. So yep. if you buy, if you have a pair and you can use them for three months, you're about twenty four hundred dollars for the season. Okay, I have a calculator in my hand here. I'm <laughs> weighing the options, and, and I know here's what Corey Corey is calculating: how many pounds of antlers he's got to pick up to break even on that. Well. See, that's, that's right. That's, that's right. a whole another topic. Is that's a that's a second season. That's you know having llamas March, April, May allows you to shed hunt with them, and then I would say August, September, and October would be elk seasons. Man, yeah, my friend, he's he's got some decisions to make. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. On the note of shed hunting, so. When I was, I put my down payment on my house, believe it or not, from shelling sheds and uh, <laughs> picked them up forever and ever and ever. And I got this, I built this little platform. So on the llamas, when you go shed hunting and you can put it on them, and man, it works awesome when you're really stacking on mostly elkhorns, you know, but yeah, it's pretty cool. So if you ever take them, Corey, make sure I send that little frame that I built so you can put some horns on those guys to pack yeah out. no we uh you know it, it gets more and more competitive every year more people are shed hunting this year was like the worst i've ever seen worst, it because huh? everyone was laid off or out of work or just at home and working from home and it just allowed everybody yeah. and their dog to be out shed hunting so we were going in there were two different trips we hiked in nine miles and set up camp and stayed for you know three to four days and if you wow. if you time it right and find enough antlers, nine miles with those kind of loads is not fun to bring out. And I said, man, a llama, if they can haul 100 pounds each, that's a, that changes the game. Changes the game, yeah. Yeah. So. And I, you know, when you get 100 pounds of antler and you stack it on the panniers, that can be the tough part. It's like, well, the weight's fine, but the, the balance. so awkward, yeah. you know, balancing it. <laughs> And so that's why I built that shed horn rack for the llamas in it. Man, it works good. Way better than anything I've tried so far. That's but great. Anyway. Yeah, very cool. Here's another way you can recover some of that money, Corey. I've not done it, but I'm thinking about it this year. When the world of southwest Montana finds out that I've got llamas staked out at my house, there's four of them over in my spare lot there, it's like a... a petting zoo my <laughs> wife will she'll call me hey there's a bunch of people over there petting the llamas did you tell them to come out here no so she'll go over there or i'll go over and ask what's up oh someone told us there were llamas out here and we wanted to come by and see them 
Okay, uh, maybe I'm going to put a gate up here with a toll for doing this. So, but <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe that's another option for you to recover some of the costs. Do you do that, Bo? Can I can I come pet your llamas for a fee? Yeah, eight dollars a person. Come all day long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, huh. Eight dollars yeah, a we- person. If I took them to the county fair. <laughs> Yeah, we we could probably make this work. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And really, it all comes down to not having to pack out elk meat. And it's, you know, you, you say that and you sound less like, oh, if I heard somebody say that, I'd be like, oh, you're you're a wimp. What are you getting old and soft? And no, I think at this point, I'm I'm ready to transition to getting old and wise. Yeah. Well, I'm a lot older. I can't say wiser, but I'm a lot older than you guys. And I, I'm here as a uh, as absolute verification that having llamas changes your entire attitude when you're out there elk hunting. You look over at that other ridge, and it's steep getting over there, and you're thinking to yourself, well, if I shot an elk over there, that's just an extra three miles beyond what I got to haul out anyhow. And then you look back, and you see Marshall or Tokyo or one of those llamas looking at you like, well, you you going to get off your duff and go kill that thing? Or, you know, we're just going to sit here and take a smoke break all day long. And uh, so it changes your whole mindset when you're out there. And uh, once you get to a certain age, you your radius of how far you're willing to travel to elk hunt from your vehicle gets smaller. It doesn't get l- wider. That radius shrinks. Either that or you're just stupid. And for me, I'm, I am stupid, but my radius did shrink <laughs> for that. But now that I have llamas, the radius is way bigger than when I was 30 years old and, and stupider. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with how to cross that line because I want to go far still. But at the same time, I'm starting to it's, – it's not that I'm – getting weaker or softer it's just that i'm starting to the, the front of my brain is developed enough to think about the future at least three or four <laughs> days ahead and if i go in 10 miles and shoot an elk i've got to come out 10 miles with all that weight and if i had three llamas to do it of course i'm speaking in the third party here for my friend but it's, uh, that yeah. makes sense for what he's looking at doing i think so. <laughs> Well, uh, to the the day that Donnie shot his elk last year, Matt had shot an elk the day before, and I shot an elk the same day as Donnie. And Bo, how many llamas did we have? Six, eight? Can't remember. We had six. Six. So we went in to get Matt's elk, which was about four miles in. And while we were there, we saw another group of elk. So I snuck over and I shot one of those. So the whole loop that we did, I think, came up to a little over 11, almost 12 miles. And there is yeah, it was no joke. There is no way I would have shot that second elk back there without llamas. Because we already would have had our hands full getting one elk out, getting a second elk out, not a chance. I, I would have said... Good. Have a good day, Mr. Bull. See you later, because <laughs> I don't need an elk that bad. But 
when I looked at those llamas standing there, I thought, well, I'll hike over there another three miles and I'll shoot that thing. And I did. And after I shoot that, here comes Bo trailing a string <laughs> of llamas up there. I already got one elk on there. And he's like, hey, I'm here to pick up your load. It's kind of like an Uber driver showing up or something. I'm like, all right. Elk Uber. Cool. So, Uber or Goober? Uh, well, there you go. Uber showed up for the Goober who shot his elk. Uh, and then we had about five miles out of there. But there's no way we would have done that. It just, we would have crossed that idea off our list because it just, it would have been too much. Yeah, you, you can yeah. hike all day without any load on your back. I mean, going 16, 18 miles uh, in relatively decent terrain without even a backpack on your back is, it's not that bad. If you, you know, if you've trained for it a little bit and you're able to do that, you yep. put 30 or 40 pounds on your back and it wears you out. I mean, it really does. Your, your effective yep. range becomes smaller. You put, you know, we're talking, you haul half an elk out, you've got a minimum of a hundred pounds on your back. Just if you have any gear, you know, an average elk's going to be 50, 55 pounds on that hind and 35 or 40 on the front. Um, it's pretty easy to get a hundred pounds on your back. If you want to pack just those two quarters, you start throwing on another portion of meat there, you know, scraps, half of the rib and back strap and neck meat and brisket meat and all that. It's not uncommon to get up to 120 pounds there, and your range with 120 pounds on your back in elk country is significantly smaller. And so I just, you know, you can go in and hike with a 30-pound pack and go in 12 miles without even blinking an eye and shoot an elk. And if you have to pack that out on your back, there is shooter's remorse. I mean, you're excited and you, you're successful, but that excitement wears off about four minutes after you put your pack on your back. And being able to savor that excitement and that victory and that success for a 10-mile hike out is that's, that's completely foreign to me, but very exciting to consider. Yeah, well, your friend should also think about the fact that we were in grizzly country and we were able to get that elk those two elk out of there in one load and not have to keep coming back once we'd kind of chum the air with all these beautiful the dead elk aromas. <laughs> that when a grizzly bear is in, in hyperphagia, you know, that uh, a gunshot attracts them, and then you start getting all this blood and smells and odors nearby, and it's like, you know, rats on a Cheeto or something. It's like, here they come. And Camel, well, Camels on a Cheeto. Well, true, yeah. Now I have another saying, now that you brought that up earlier, Corey. I, but yeah. anyhow, uh, it, it's nice to know that you're getting that thing out of there and you're not coming back multiple times because every time you come back, when you've got a carcass and meat hanging, the the likelihood of a bear finding it at that time of year when they're just looking for gut piles and carcasses just gets a little greater and a little greater. And it, it's pretty comforting to be to know that, all right, I'm leaving that for the Grizzlies, and we're heading out. Yep. Well, I think I think to sum this whole discussion up, that packing elk with the with the llama is slicker than deer guts on a doorknob. 
Hey, now you owe me a royalty for that. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for a topic (laughs) and a time to be able to use that scene. And I can't think of a better time. (laughs) 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 Yeah. All right. Randyisms. My my crew wants me to film a whole video of Randyisms. I don't even <laughs> think about them. I just say them. And people, especially people who haven't been around me much, they look at me like, man, that guy's weird. <laughs> it would be a two day film, Randy. <laughs> For sure. Okay. Donnie and I did that that segment last year, that film where we uh, we tried to make our camera guy laugh with dad jokes, and we kept score of whose dad joke made him laugh the most. Uh-huh. I think we could do the same with your Randyisms and get yes. a couple camera guys there, and you could just start spouting them off and see how many of them you can make laugh. That well, is a yeah. t-shirt that would sell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some camera guys some camera guys are a lot like llamas though they're just they have no personality and it might be hard to make them laugh <laughs> true but i i do get them laugh sometimes they laugh like they're the village idiot or something they just <laughs> i'll say something and they'll just start laughing i'll look at them like what, what's wrong with you guys so yesterday this is this is a good tangent. We always do tangents, but we haven't had enough of them yet. Yeah. But yesterday they made me film another what's called the shop story that we're putting out on our YouTube channel. Brag, not bragging. Bra- well, yeah, bragging how stupid I am and how things really go snare wire sometimes. And uh, Corey, do you remember when Sitka had us back there for that uh, Sitka tech? seminar or whatever it was back in Delaware, back at core headquarters. <laughs> I do. I think that was the first time you and I physically hung out together. Yeah, that was 2011. And uh, I we were eating dinner that night, and I got notified that I drew that New Mexico <laughs> tag, that elk tag I was all excited about. Well, you probably wondered why that never made TV. And uh, the, the summary is that my contract camera guy quit the night before the hunt so the production company couldn't get me uh uh a camera guy uh for three more days so my six-day hunt becomes a three-day hunt well in the interim i get a flat tire i go to the tire shop to get it repaired and there's a chili stand across the way and my pal scandinavian unrefined palate goes and orders five alarm chili in new mexico and within a half hour, I have dysentery to the degree that you can't even imagine. Uh, and so we had an entire elk hunt ruined by dysentery induced by uh, authentic <laughs> New Mexico chili. And my camera guys think that's the funniest thing in the world <laughs> when I tell that story about how my bottom got so raw from everything that I couldn't walk. I couldn't hike. I didn't dare blow on my bugle because when you put that pressure on your diaphragm, you thought something might come out the other direction. And, uh, so they, they had me film this whole thing yesterday. I'm like, uh Oh, my career is done. But the camera guy, while I'm telling the story, he's heard it multiple times. He's laughing so hard while I'm while he's filming me that he's completely <laughs> distracting me. So there's a few randyisms in 
in that oh, one. Oh my uh, goodness! You you so. and New Mexico just don't mesh well. We went down there and had a, a very similar effect when you had a oh. you had a milkshake at Sonic or something, didn't you? You strayed from Dairy Queen and it about cost you a couple of days of hunting. It, it almost did, but our buddy Ben Potter, he really was the one who it, it, it went through him like, you know, grain through a goose, man. It was like, he, he's like, I could see him up in your truck there. So he's, oh, you're going down the interstate 70 miles an hour and here's Ben trying to jump out. I'm like, Ben, okay. What's the deal? And you were swerve into some little joint there, and poor old Ben, I, he had the dysentery. Let's put it that. What's that game, Oregon Trail or something? You died of the dysentery. Well, that was that was almost me on that New Mexico elk hunt, all because I thought I was a connoisseur of fine chili. Uh, you should. I, when you guys, I, sh- I should send you guys a preview. You you guys will let, you guys will give me good uh, feedback on what parts to cut and and uh, how short my <laughs> career is going to be once that gets out there. I I think the analogy I used for how sore my bottom was after three days of the dysentery was I felt like I had rode bareback on a belt sander. <laughs> 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 it, oh that's what gosh. it felt like. Uh, so, anyhow, there, there you have it, Bo. Another tangent. So we had to at least have one. Oh, that's Somehow good. we go from talking, we talk about llamas, and we end up on dysentery in New Mexico and riding bareback on a belt sand. That's just those, those aren't even tangents. That's almost like shotgun. <laughs> that that image is uh, stained in my mind now. <laughs> Yeah, and my entire season that year was compromised on account of that. <laughs> Be careful using the word stained around Randy because he uses that term quite loosely yeah. when he talks about New Mexico. <laughs> oh, man. One of these days yeah. I'm going to get one of the New Mexico tag. I'm excited for that. <laughs> Don't go with Randy. Between Well, well, well no, <laughs> I was going to I was going to say if you want if if you want to draw a tag in New Mexico, boy, you just apply with Corey. I apply for all those tags down there. I never draw. First time I apply with Corey, boom. We do draw. first choice, I think. So you, too. Co- yeah, you and Corey should apply. You guys, you guys would draw right away. <clears throat> that way, I could get my my lesson. He owes me now. Yeah, he owes you a twenty minute calling lesson. Yeah. Twenty minute calling lesson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Bo, before we wrap up, how uh, how can people find you, and how can they? Yeah contact you and I, I guess logistically if they were to rent you know if somebody was hunting in montana or wyoming or something and, and needed to rent llamas you're in kind of southeast idaho right yep southeast idaho and then we have a you know little shop set up um in missoula and then helena and our friends up there kind of run that little facility and so there's six or eight llamas at each location for people up there coming through that area and then uh yeah otherwise we can meet them and you know, help cut the distance down, which we do a lot of that actually in September and October. But our website's uh, a great resource and helps people uh, find us and also answer questions. Just wildernessridgetrailamas.com or uh, they can just go to rentlamas.com as well. It's the same website. And then, uh, yeah, our Instagram page um, has some information. It's just, you know, Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas on Instagram. And those are the probably the best ways to get a hold of us. So, very cool. On your YouTube channel, you've got a pile of videos on there about 
llamas and every, I mean, pretty much everything we've talked about, I think you probably cover in a video at some point. Is that? Yeah. Is we, that right? You know, I think we're, we're kind of during COVID to just kind of survive this thing, but uh, we've got some new software and things, but we'll start putting up a lot more YouTube videos, just information about llamas and kind of our llama journey. It's kind of a, you know, just a story of our lives and what we like to do and try to share some information with people. And so our YouTube channel is something we're really working towards um, improving and doing more of it. So hopefully people find it's a good resource. So yeah, check it out guys. And hopefully you, you like some of the information and content out there and big thanks to Randy. He's been a major, major help in helping us with our YouTube channel. And it's actually been a, a great asset for people to learn more about llamas. I think we need to do a, a shop talk on the llamas and hear some of the the stories of packing with llamas and yeah, I I think we need Bo's version of shop stories, of yeah, things that have went wrong with llamas <laughs> or with employees. Oh I mean, yeah. When I do my shop shop stories, I'm pretty pretty rough on the camera guys because we blame everything on the camera guy. Uh, so, but before uh, before we get too far along and you get off the, the phone here, Corey, and you call your friend and tell him that he's buying a couple llamas for his daughter. <laughs> uh, there's one thing I want to talk about. We get a lot of comments from people asking, what does the Elk Foundation do in non-traditional elk states? And we know that the Elk Foundation is the title sponsor of this podcast. And a perfect example came up this month. And Nebraska is not known as an elk hunting state, but if you have seen the quality of bull elk that have been coming out of Nebraska recently, it's starting to become known for elk hunting. The downside is that access is tough there. So the Elk Foundation worked with Nevada or uh, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission and the De ne Nebraska Environmental Trust, and they purchased a 1,520-acre tract of perfect elk habitat in the northwest corner of Nebraska, and they immediately turned it over to the Nebraska Game and Park Commission, and they added it to their, uh, it's called the Peterson Wildlife Management Area. And so now there's 37,000 contiguous acres that are accessible for the lucky people who draw an elk tag in Nebraska or go deer hunting or whatever else they want to do there. So when people are wondering what the Elk Foundation does in places that aren't your core of the elk world, they have done access projects in Michigan yeah. and Kentucky and Wisconsin and places where these small herds are popping up. So, yeah, they do it everywhere. Very cool. So I just felt that we wanted to talk about that since since we can't talk about us contributing to the sportsman level membership anymore. Those all sold out. <laughs> Yeah, they did. Yeah, that's exciting. 500 people. Yeah, 500 people jumped on that and uh, were able to get in. And again, that's a, a membership. And, and people can right. still get in on that. It's just Randy and I aren't going to help pay for it this time. <laughs> but they should still do it. Just because, just because we ran yes. out of money shouldn't be a good excuse to not do it. That's right. That's $100, so. right? $100. Uh, Sportsman, sportsman membership yep 
and the the money that is above the normal membership you get some few additional incentives for joining but a big part of it is to know that that extra money is going to hunting access yep so rmef.org go there sign up and you'll probably shoot a, an, a, at least one elk this year That's right <laughs> and then you'll need Corey's friend to come with his llamas to help you pack it out <laughs> <laughs> or to rent, better yet, rent llamas from Bo right. because Corey's friend is probably already going to have some of those llamas spoken for. Yeah, and just knowing knowing his daughter, she's probably not going to even let him take him out hunting. So probably don't even ask. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal: you just need to come this summer with uh, your friend and his family to the ranch and just investigate. You know. <laughs> the llamas and the baby llamas and make sure the women in your life say, are there make yeah. sure the women in your life are there i'll uh, wait so. until those babies grow up because that's that that's what sucks <laughs> you into cats to dogs to anything <laughs> they're cute when they're little but then they grow up and you know it's kind of like humans really they they're cute when they're little but then they turn into teenagers and it's you realize that all you're doing is just feeding them you aren't getting they aren't packing any elk out they're you just yeah so can I add one more thing that relates to llamas and one of our other podcast sponsors, Gerber? Yeah. Yeah. So Bo said, Randy, you should come down and pick out a llama and buy it. So I went down, when was I down there, Bo, three weeks ago or something like that? Yeah, first of June, I think. And uh, so Gerber said, but we want to have the naming rights to the llama. And so I went out there, Bo shows me all of them, pick out my llama. I asked him, who are the parents of this llama? He said, well, Stevie Nicks and Maverick. And I'm thinking, wow, Tom Cruise and Stevie <laughs> Nicks are the parents of this llama. That's an interesting looking outcome there. Uh, <laughs> but then you realize that, okay, folks, hold on. We're, we're talking about... Bo's llamas. Do you have to pay a naming right to name one of your llamas Stevie Nicks? No, hopefully not. Hopefully Stevie oh, Nicks is cool okay. with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, for those of you who didn't know Stevie Nicks as the the vocal expert on in Fleetwood Mac, I'm sure one of the names that are that's going to be in the naming contest that starts the end of July, it, it runs the last half of July, Gerber's going to conduct it. I'm pretty sure we got to have Goose, who was Maverick's sidekick in Top Gun, right? Yep. And then we, we at least got to have Fleetwood or something like that, because right now, what do you call him, Bo, my llama? You call him Mac Daddy? Yeah, Mac Daddy, because he came out as big as a Mac <laughs> truck, you know? <laughs> so yeah. anyhow there will be a there will be a llama naming contest with lots of prizes coming sometime the last half of july man bo I, I see a whole nother revenue stream here not only eight dollars a person to come pet the llamas <laughs> but all of those yeah. 50 what, what do you call a baby llama Kriyas. Kriyas, all, all 51 of those baby Kriyas or whatever, you could charge somebody to be able to name it. I mean, imagine being able to name a Kriya after your mother-in-law or something <laughs> like that. I mean, you could probably do online auctions to name these baby llamas. You think so? And I, I, I bet you wouldn't even have to rent any llamas this fall. You'd probably just make enough off of that that you could just feed them and listen to them 
purring out in the pasture all <laughs> I like the idea. I think Lawas would be bored out of their minds if I didn't put them to work. They love it. So. <laughs> what I, yeah, I like that. That's, that's something we might do. You know, maybe we could do a big series next year on our YouTube channel. You know, start it in April and film all the babies being born and uh, have some naming things going on. I think yeah. that's a good idea. So thanks for that. Yeah. No, hit me up. I've got a name idea, but I can't share it on the podcast yet. Okay. Because <laughs> you're trying to win the Gerber competition, <laughs> no, aren't you? You want some pretty good. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, no you, you have the... Uh, you you know how many questions we are going to get at the Elk Talk podcast <laughs> link, Corey, saying, Corey, what, what's the name that you didn't dare tell anybody on the podcast? Share it with me. I'm good, no man. Way. I won't tell anybody. I'm not sharing that yet. There will be a, there will be a time and a okay. place where right. it will be appropriate. Not that it's inappropriate, All just right. that it, it, uh, <laughs> it might be a good one. Yeah. So, Corey, what did, uh, okay. out of curiosity, what did Donnie think of the whole llama deal when we were packing out that elk? You know, Donnie's a lot like a llama. You can load, you, you know, I mean, and I, I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> like, you can load him up with as much elk meat as okay. you want to. And he just, you line him out on the trail and he goes and packs. He never complains. Every once in a while, if there's too much weight, his legs will start wobbling a little and you can tell he's getting tired, but he never says anything. When we stop and take a break, he'll just kind of sit there and, and stare off in the distance and not make eye contact. And you know, you, you, just, you never know if, if he's <laughs> mad, if he's happy, if he's upset. When you say, let's get up and go, he just gets up and goes. So I think Donnie yeah. was in his element with those llamas because they <laughs> the same way he does when he has an elk on his back. So Yeah, Donnie's a hard read. That's right. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, so I got to... I got to interject this. One See? of the llamas I rented, this great big old boy, was named Donnie. That's right. That's right. He's a gentleman. Man, I love that guy. Oh, he's a machine. We took him he into the- He is a machine. Are you, talking about, are you talking about Donnie or the llama? The llama. The llama oh, okay. named Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because Donnie is a gentleman and, and he is a machine. Yes, so. he is. It's <laughs> a good name for a llama. Yeah. He's not even here to defend himself. I can't believe you're picking on him, Corey. <laughs> Take, those are compliments. Everything I said was 100% okay. complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> I just took Donnie the llama to Utah this last, the first this week, and we cut uh, seven miles of trail and uh, for a trip that was running. And he, he packed all the chainsaw and all the, saw, the fuel and everything. And he did a good job. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, Donnie. Oh, uh, there's the Dolly llama and there's the Donnie llama. I'm never naming one Dolly, just so you guys know. And I'm not naming one Tina ever. Never, ever. Tina, you fat lard, you know, from Napoleon Dynamite. And then someone told me yesterday, you should name one Michelle Olama. I was like, oh my gosh. You for real? <laughs> so we get it all. But, so those three are out. No Michelle Lama, no Tina, and no uh, Dolly. Man, and probably no Barack Olama either. <laughs> and no Barack Olama. <laughs> yeah, all these, all these people. No, nothing against any of them. No, but I totally. Just, were not. That's funny. Stevie Nicks as far as I take it. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, Bo, thank you so much for, 
for sharing all this with us. You know, we, we, elk hunting yeah. is one thing, and tactics and strategies and all of that that come into elk hunting. But some of the things that we, right. we don't touch on that we probably need to a lot more are these kinds of things that make elk hunting more enjoyable and make that success an enjoyable success. Because I have, I've gotten emails from people. I've yeah. talked to people at seminars that come up and say, I elk hunted for seven years before I killed my first elk. And when I killed my first elk, I swore I'd never kill another one because I didn't realize yeah. the work I was getting into. <laughs> it was more of just the appeal of, of hunting elk and successfully putting my tag on one. I was so caught up in that excitement that I hadn't prepared for the real work part of it. And I think uh, I've hunted elk for 35 years now, and I've never packed an elk that I've shot on a llama. Last year was the first experience doing that, and I almost feel like I've been slighted a little bit because I didn't know about them sooner. (laughs) I could see that when we packed that elk out last year. You you were like, hmm. This is weird. I'm not Very used weird, to getting know? to the elk and then turning around and going back to the truck light. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's unfamiliar, uncharted territory, and I kind of liked it, I have to admit. So, Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, the questions and, you know, bringing this to the public. It's really good information. And, yeah, I had a really fun doing it. And I really respect both you guys a, a tremendous amount and have learned a lot from your content and being with you guys and watching you. So appreciate your mentorship and all you do for the no, industry. Thank so you. Thank you no, and and thank you. I'll say it again. Thank you for all the, yeah. the wonderful meals at elk camp last year and for packing Donnie's elk. So I didn't have to. And this, yeah, uh, this information is awesome. Cool. All right. Yeah, no problem. Well, appreciate everybody being here. Everybody listening to, uh, the tangents, the color commentary, and the good information from Bo so Corey can go to his friend and relay this information. And will you report to us, Corey, what your friend decides to do? Yeah, I, I was thinking I might have him listen to this episode when it comes out, but I did take a lot of notes too. So I might be able to just relay those notes to him. And I, I'll tell you one thing, he's got he's got enough information here to make an educated decision whichever way he goes. All right. Cool. Well, we 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 want to know. The the fans are waiting <laughs> on the edge of their seats to know what your friend decided to do. They will they will know. They'll probably uh they'll probably hear about it before elk season, but at least by elk season I'm sure that they will uh see pictures and videos that confirm or deny what his decision was. <laughs> cool. Okay, sounds good. Well, Don't thanks. let us down. All right. Thanks for being here, folks. Stay happy, stay healthy, get out in the mountains and have some fun.